This program is brought to you by PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. To learn more about this podcast, visit pli.edu slash pro bono podcast. When I was a lawyer in the Royal Australian Navy, I was deployed to the Gulf in 2003. And one of my jobs was actually writing wills for sailors while we were out, while we were deployed. So, you know, for me, it sort of harks back to those days when I was a military lawyer drafting wills. Sometimes the important pro bono work that you can do, it just has to happen before a client hits a crisis. In fact, the actual goal of that legal work is avoiding crisis altogether. And no matter what a person's net worth is, everyone benefits from some solid end-of-life planning. And that's true whether you're a 20-year-old deployed to a war zone or a World War II vet in your 90s. But so much of the legal aid world, it focuses on triaging emergency situations. The eviction, the domestic violence assault, or the deportation order. And that World War II vet in his 90s? Well, the military isn't sending a lawyer to help rewrite the will he did decades ago. But he will suffer if he doesn't get good planning for health scares, mental incapacity, and passing on his worldly goods. So I'd like to suggest that when you consider what kind of pro bono you might do, you consider the huge impact you can make doing end-of-life documents for seniors and veterans. I always make the analogy of going for your checkup versus going to the emergency room, right? The eviction is the emergency room. You need some help right away. Where putting your documents in place and having the right plan in place is preventative care. Uh, To me, it's a no-brainer to get it done. Welcome to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. We are here to tell pro bono stories, stories that we hope inspire you to take your own pro bono legal work to the next level. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken. I've worked in civil rights, criminal defense, and civil legal aid, but now I'm a principal at the Danu Center for Strategic Advocacy and a faculty fellow at PLI. And I love getting to talk with volunteer lawyers and nonprofit legal projects around the country about the pro bono work that matters to them. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. We are talking in this episode about using pro bono to meet the legal needs of senior veterans in New York City. I wanted to understand the need for an end-of-life planning pro bono project and to get to know two of the people deeply involved in providing that legal help. So we're talking with two New Yorkers. Meet Pete Kempner, our expert legal services provider. I am the legal director and senior law project director at Volunteers of Legal Service, also known as VALS. And in addition to that, I am a clinical adjunct professor at New York Law School, where I created and teach the Veterans Justice Clinic. And Monica DeMartin, a dedicated pro bono lawyer for VALS, who is also a Navy veteran herself. I'm director counsel at Societe Generale, which is a French investment bank located in New York. 
I'm responsible for conducting complete and complex internal investigation. First off, Pete taught me a bit more about the community of veterans that he and Monica work with. Well, one of the things I want to highlight is that it's an aging, graying veteran population in New York City. Over half of veterans in New York City are over the age of 65. And and that is a trend that is progressing. A lot of that has to do with the cost of living in New York. Younger veterans who are getting discharged can't afford to live in New York City. So they find homes elsewhere in the country. And so what we tend to find in New York City are older veterans who've lived here their, their whole lives and are, are now needing a lot of services based on their age. Older adults have fixed incomes. And at the same time, we know that the cost of living, especially in a city like New York, is not fixed. And so there continues to be pressures on their income as time passes. What do you want people to know about um, uh, the community of veterans in general? Certainly, we know that there are higher instances of of mental health issues amongst the veteran population. Uh, Suicide rates are twice as high as they are um, with the general population. Homelessness is more pronounced in the veteran community. But when we're looking at legal services for veterans, in a lot of ways, It's the same kind of legal issues that are faced by everybody else. But Pete emphasized there are a few important differences about how a pro bono lawyer might be able to help a veteran with legal issues. There are programs that are available to them and organizations that serve them that don't serve the general population. And so in approaching providing legal services to veterans, it's really important to be aware of those programs and services in order to provide competent legal services to them. Pete's whole career has been grounded in something called population-based services. In other words, instead of becoming an eviction specialist or a benefits specialist, Pete has built his expertise on the needs of specific communities. And so taking this integrated, holistic approach to legal services, I think allows has allowed me to, to be a better lawyer and, and to provide better services. And so I spent a decade providing legal services to HIV-positive clients, and then the opportunity arose at my old organization to create a veterans-focused practice. And so I, I immediately raised my hand. It's a population that I was interested in serving. And it is easy for Pete to come up with examples of how being an expert in the options for veterans makes him better at solving problems for those clients. We had an older adult called Thals who was facing eviction. He had lived in an apartment in the Chelsea neighborhood for many years with his partner. They had never married. His partner passed away and the landlord wanted the apartment back. Mm -hmm. Our client was not on the lease. And, you know, but we thought he had succession rights to the apartment. But because of the fact that they weren't married, it wasn't cut and dry. But we had a really good legal argument there. And we brought in pro bono co-counsel to help us in the housing court case, in the eviction proceeding. But he, he stopped me at some point and said, look, Pete, even if you get the lease in my name, I have a problem. The, the rent is $900 a month. And my Social Security retirement's about 950. I can't afford it. 
but one of the things that we do for every single intake is that we ask, did you serve in the military or is there a, a household member that served in the military? And, and he had answered yes. It turned out that he was a Vietnam era veteran. Um, when he left the service, he left it. He never looked back. He never went to the VA. He never had any involvement in that world ever again. And nobody really had asked him for decades, but we had asked him. So I, I said, you know, do you have your, your DD-214, which is your discharge papers? And, and he, happened to ha he happened to keep it, you know, in a memory box covered mm -hmm. in dust somewhere in his closet. And it turned out that he, you know, he had an honorable discharge. He was a wartime veteran. And because he was low income, we were able to identify that he was eligible for a VA pension. Cool. And so we got him to the VA, got him to apply, and he increased his income from $900 a month to $1,400 a month. And all of a sudden, he was able to afford to live in this apartment that we got him succession rights to. And, and so if we had not screened for veteran status, if we had not screened for his military service, that fact would have never surfaced. And But that fact is what really separated him from homelessness. And so having legal services providers that are focused on veterans can make all of the difference. Knowing the specialized legal options, that's just one part of the integrated approach to representing veterans. Monica also weighs in on some of the unique issues that impact how veterans might engage or avoid engaging with legal systems. In my experience in dealing with veterans, veterans have often suffered, suffered you know, trauma or have instances of post-traumatic stress. And so I think that that actually impacts their or negatively impacts actually how they navigate accessing those services or accepting assistance, right? And I think that that sometimes, as Pete was saying, it really helps when you have an organization that can help guide them into the services that actually are available to them. So in other words, ironically, there are special services because they're veterans, but also because of the trauma experiences of veterans, it can sometimes make it harder for people on a personal level to ask for help accept help and get signed up. I believe so, yes. I think it does. So sometimes they feel that they shouldn't be asking for help. And particularly too, as Pete was saying, with the aging population, I think it becomes harder too to access these services the older you become. Not necessarily thinking about veterans, but thinking about dealing with seniors as well. I think it must become more difficult to figure out what is real help, what's trustworthy help, and what's fraud. There are so many fraudsters who target older folks. I think you hit the nail on the head. A trust, trust is a really big issue that we encounter with our, our senior law project and working with older adults. Sometimes we can't even get them to pick up the phone. They screen their calls because they are so used to being the target of, of folks who are trying to scam them. Um, and, and there is a disbelief, I mean, especially folks who've never accessed free legal services before, that this truly is a, a thing that's out there and that's free for them. People may not believe free legal help is really available because it can be a scarce resource. Pete's organization, VALS, has been leveraging the skills of pro bono lawyers since 1985 to increase access to free legal help. I left Legal Services NYC about five years ago and came here to Volunteers of Legal Service. 
to run our, our senior law project. And one of the things that I couldn't let go was serving veterans and no, knew that we had an aging veteran population in New York City. And, and I knew I could do an initiative here at Vols focused on serving veterans. And so the, the focus of the work of the senior law project when I came over here to Vols was end of life and incapacity plan. I was able to bring also the connections I had with the folks at the local VA at veteran services organizations and bring our services into veteran spaces and, and bring them in to do this, this future planning for them. But let's talk for a minute about why VALS prioritizes pro bono for end-of-life planning. Because there are still plenty of emergency cases, plenty of housing and income crises that impact senior veterans just like other low-income New Yorkers. Even the story Pete just told us, that started as an eviction case. So when triaging where to send pro bono lawyers, why does Pete think it is important to get them doing end-of-life planning? I think generally when, when you think about lawyers in this work, you think about, oh, passing wealth to the next generation. And our, our clients don't have real wealth to pass to the next generation. What my main concern in doing this work for clients is what happens to them during their lifetime. We want to make sure that they're able to stay in the community for as long as possible. We want to make sure that they have access to the benefits that they need in order to make that happen. And, and what happens, what could happen when somebody becomes incapacitated, when you know there's either physical or their mental health acuity diminishes, they're unable to pay their bills. The landlord sends them a renewal lease and they fail to sign it. If they receive some sort of public assistance or SNAP benefits or social security benefits, something that requires an annual recertification, they fail to do that. And so the, the lights get turned off because the utility bill isn't paid. The landlord brings an eviction proceeding because the rent isn't paid or the lease isn't signed. Their benefits cases get shut off because they fail to do their recertification. And now we have an older adult that's at risk of homelessness, is at risk of being put in an institution prematurely. That, I mean, that's obviously bad for them. It's bad for their families, and it's bad for society. Um, there's great costs involved in institutional care. Um, and when we're able to keep older adults in the, in the community, there's a lot of cost savings there. And what we often get, sadly, is people's adult children calling us and saying, hi, I need to get power of attorney over my dad. And we explain to them, look, you don't get power of attorney over somebody. Power of attorney is something that's freely given. And let me talk to your dad. But unfortunately, dad has, has dementia, has Alzheimer's. It's too late. And so then we have to shift gears and give them advice about filing for guardianship. And guardianship is not an easy process. It's a really intrusive process. It also really, it doesn't happen overnight. And usually they're calling because there's an eviction or there's some other emergency. And this is a process that takes time. And in addition, it's not an easy process. It's hard to navigate the courts. And so they're put in a position where they need to hire a private attorney to file for guardianship. And so between the fact that it is invasive, time-consuming, and costly, but could be avoided if we had done some preventative care here, 
if we had put the plan in place early on before the onset of the disability. It, to me, it's a no-brainer to get it done. And, and you think about those societal costs and, and the preventative care is just the, the smart way to go. I agree with you. It's a no-brainer. How do you inspire older veterans in New York City to, to get their end-of-life wellness checkup done? <sighs> That's tough. And, and a big part of what we do is actually public education. We tell horror stories. Right. We try to scare people, uh, but it's it's tough. And, and I'll tell you, you know, we have a caseload that's open in our, our case management system for the project. I think a senior law project in general, we've got about 300 cases right now. I'd say about 100 of those are people who gave us a call. We sent up the questionnaire to fill out about who do you want in the various roles for the various documents. And we're sitting waiting to get that questionnaire back. Well, it's one of those things where people think, I, I know I need to do this, but they're just not ready to jump. And, and it's tough because you have to really acknowledge your mortality. I mean, it's not going to quicken your incapacity or death to sign a will or to sign a power of attorney, but people get that in their heads and they're reluctant to do it. When Pete says they have 300 open cases and 100 of those are people who have not sent in their documents yet, well, my brain gets focused on the fact that 200 people are ready for the legal help. And that means having the skilled pro bono lawyers ready to give the help to these seniors. Now, Valls is really good at finding and keeping great pro bono lawyers, like Monica DeMartin. And Monica has some personal reasons for investing her time with senior veterans. And as a bonus, some really valuable experience helping active duty military folks plan for the worst. To get to know her, I asked Monica to take me way back to the beginning of her decision to become a lawyer. Monica, what drew you to become a lawyer? Probably because I wanted to be a police officer and originally when I was a little girl and then someone said to me, oh, maybe you could become a, you know, a prosecutor and, and put those bad people away. And so I thought, oh, maybe I should become a lawyer. But, but then, you know, once I, was, once I was a lawyer, I actually joined the Royal Australian Navy. So my affinity for, you know, helping veterans is because I am one. So I do, you know, I do really appreciate like the, the services that are out there for veterans. And the work that you do now, you described as investigations which is not end-of-life planning. So, so tell me about what draws drew you to work with VALS and the Senior Veterans Initiative. Well, I, look, I've always tried to do pro bono work. For me, doing pro bono and working with VALS and Pete and all of the other lawyers there, it's an easy way for me to give back my time and my skills. And so for me, I think it's it's just something that I really enjoy. I sort of try and do as much as I can for veterans. Early in her career, Monica came to understand the importance of helping fellow military people get their important documents squared away. When I was a lawyer in the Royal Australian Navy, I was deployed to the Gulf in 2003, and I was a brand new lieutenant in the Navy. And one of my jobs was actually writing wills for sailors while we were out, while we were deployed. So for me, it sort of harks back to those days when I was a military lawyer drafting wills. The other thing as well is when you're at sea and you're going into a combat situation, there might be risk there. 
they would often write letters to their families and they would ask me to hold on to them. So for me, as a very young lawyer, first time at sea and being responsible for something that was so important to these sailors, I think that's something that I took great pride in and I was really humbled by that experience. And so for me now, pro bono work, being able to do that again for the community, I think is really important. Interestingly, the sailors Monica helped in the early 2000s have some things in common with the senior veterans she helps now. Neither tend to have a lot of assets to pass on, and they need guidance thinking about hard things. So also, you know, sailors in their early 20s, they might not actually own much, and they don't really know who to leave it to. Like, can I leave my car to my mom? Can I leave this to my girlfriend? But we're not married, you know, those sort of things. But if something does happen to them, their family members will be entitled to something. So oftentimes you have to guide them through, well, who would you like to leave that to? And that's a really hard conversation to have with someone who might be just 19, Mm -hmm. first time deployed going into active combat. Also, it's really hard as a 25-year-old lawyer going, oh, you know, I have to start thinking about these sort of questions. And and then what do I do with these letters? Just the thought of something bad happening was a lot too. And, and that's sort of something as a lawyer, you're trying to guide your clients and trying to be responsible and thoughtful in how you're guiding them. But at the same time, you're also going into an active combat situation. You're like, oh my God, I, I haven't drafted my own will. What do I do? Maybe I should have thought of that before I left and because there's no one here to actually write my will. So that experience has certainly stayed with me all through the years. And, and you know, military experience is something, it, it's hard to describe unless you've actually been there and done it. 20 years later, on the other side of the globe, Monica brings her experience and insight to her pro bono work in New York. With veterans, when they hear that you're a veteran, it's just an immediate connection. Even though I served in Australia, you know, for the Royal Australian Navy, I'm not an American veteran, but it's an affinity. They know, they know that I can understand what they're talking about. You know, if they were deployed or if they were away from their family for a long time, multiple deployments, things that happened to them in the military. I, I understand that because I lived through it too. So I think that's an important aspect to take. And what made you decide to join the Navy after law school? I was a clerk for a Supreme Court judge, and and he was actually an honorary major. So he had done some service and then had risen through the rakes up to major. And th- at the same time, there was an ad on TV. The Royal Australian Navy was actually actively recruiting, and the ad went something like, you'll be wet, you'll be homesick and frightened, but you'll be the pride of the fleet. And I thought, oh, that might be good to do. And <laughs> the judge said to me, you know, Monica, a little bit of life experience wouldn't hurt. I was very young at the time and I really didn't have much much experience. And so I thought it'd be a good idea, both for professionally and personally, to sort of see a bit of the world. So then surprisingly I was I was selected to become a, a lawyer in the in the Navy. And I didn't tell anyone that I was applying until I literally got my commission and then told my mother that I was joining the military, which was a big surprise because I don't really have a military family. So I didn't <laughs> want to frighten her and I didn't, I didn't know actually if I'd, I'd actually get in. So, you know, and then of course, when I was deployed in 2003, that was a, 
a whole nother thing because I had promised her that when I joined the Navy, I said, Mom, I'm joining the Navy as a lawyer. Uh, it's just the only difference will be that I'll have to wear a uniform every day. And of course, two years later, I was deployed for six months to the Arabian Gulf. So, so it was a bit of a bit of a surprise to everyone. But it was excellent and I, I, I loved every minute of it. I, I did some amazing, crazy, wonderful things in the Navy and it, it truly was an amazing experience. So you've been deployed to the Arabian Gulf as a legal officer for a ship and you do internal investigations for a bank now. Those things all sound hard. And you described working with Vols as easy. And so (laughs) I'm curious, what do they do? What do they do that makes it easy for you to participate? I I just think Vols is is a wonderfully run organization. And to me, they make it easy administratively. They send out a list of pro bono work and you can literally, it's like a menu, pick and choose you know, what you would be interested in, where you think it would, your maybe your skills or your experience would, would fit. I mean, I've had the opportunity to work on some really interesting cases. The one that I had most recently was with a 99-year-old veteran who was redoing his will again because, you know, at 99, he's outliving all of his beneficiaries. Mm. We had some great conversations just just sort of talking about his experience in the military, my experience in the military. And and that was, you know, a really nice, a nice way to connect with someone in my community who, who actually lived very close to me. And just also hearing about he'd lived in the same apartment in New York, I think for the last, I think, 70 years. And just the changes outside his window that he saw in the in those 70 years just in the neighborhood, I thought was really interesting. And I would never have gotten the opportunity to speak to someone like that who'd lived in the, in the same place for so long and, and really had this amazing view of New York and his, his experience in the world. And it was, in the end, a very simple will to to execute in the end. He was very worried about who he would leave the apartment to. And he was sort of trying to find someone that in his family that he could leave the apartment to. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really important to him that he was able to execute the will. And so I think Vols just is very good at coordinating and doing all the, that preliminary prep work. And then really all you have to do as the lawyer is is show up and and give your time and give your expertise. And as in-house counsel, you know, I partner with lawyers from large law firms that Vols also partners with. And for me, that's an excellent way of learning a completely different new area of law. For me, that's always something to look forward to. And also meeting such great lawyers who also are really dedicated to pro bono work. So again, for me, I think it's win-win. For me, that's why I was saying it's easy. Sometimes the work's not easy, but but administratively it's easy. Right. Well, that's that's the thing that is important is making the easy parts easy, like figuring out which cases you're going to work on, solving administrative problems so that you have the, the brain space for the hard parts. Right. And also being so supportive and also being so easy, being able to communicate so readily with Vols lawyers as well. So if you need help, if you're stuck, if you don't know what the next thing 
to do or what the next step is, they're always there to give you that support that you need. And I think that's really important too, especially important for new lawyers starting out in pro bono work, right? Because a lot of lawyers who've never done pro bono work before really want to do it, but they're sort of they're almost hesitant to start because they think, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to get a client. I don't know anything about this area of law. How do I know I'm even going to be able to give them the right advice? How will I be, how will I even be able to help them? And that hesitancy makes them think again, maybe I shouldn't be doing pro bono work. And I think that's where Vols is really a wonderful organization to actually help lawyers do that. Because some lawyers do want to help and we try to help as best we can, but we, we, we're sort of frightened sometimes to do the wrong thing. We, all, we know that these clients are sometimes vulnerable. You know, again, with the veterans population, we're not accepting of help sometimes and sort of getting over that barrier and then thinking, I'm responsible for this client. Am I going to be able to really fully serve them? And I think sometimes that prevents lawyers from doing pro bono work, which is unfortunate. And that's where I think it's really where Vols really sort of steps up. Pete, can you describe for us the, the concrete things that Vols does to support a lawyer like Monica, who is in-house, who isn't necessarily an expert in end-of-life planning? Like, how do you support the pro bono lawyers to feel like they can do a good job? At least 90%, if not 95% of the attorneys we work with are not trust and estates attorneys with our senior law project. And, and so... What do we need to do to make sure that what they're doing is responsible and they feel supported in doing it? And, and so we have our pro bono library online. Every single volunteer attorney that works with our clients is matched up with one of the Vols staff to act as their guide. We help answer questions. We actually have weekly office hours um, where we just pop in a Zoom and any of our volunteers could pop in and ask questions. I'm grateful that Monica says it's easy. We try to hand it to our volunteers on a silver platter, but they do a lot of work, right? And they, and they do a lot of thinking and they help us out a lot. And they allow us to serve so many more clients than we would otherwise be able to do. We're, like I said in the beginning, we're, we're a tiny organization. We're, I think right now, 22 people from our front desk to our ED, but we're able to serve thousands of New Yorkers every year thanks to our volunteers. This conversation makes me think about the wide variety of skills that trained lawyers bring to a situation. Our training in collecting and organizing facts, our experience making sense of sometimes obtuse formal documents, and especially our genuine interest in solving puzzles to help others. Monica, what, what do you think you bring to the relationship when you're partnering with a traditional law firm lawyer and working with a, a Vols veteran client? I think I'm just really good at asking questions <laughs> and a lot of questions. That comes from my years as being an investigator, from being a, a prosecutor, and then also from, you know, being in the military. And I've also worked in a lot of different places. I've lived in different countries. I have probably very different life experience or certainly a career experience than a lot of the lawyers that we partner with. So I feel like I can perhaps reach people in, in a different way or just keep asking questions to really understand what their issue is. So I think sometimes people know they have a legal issue or think they have a legal issue, but they don't exactly know what they need. So they don't know what what legal service they might need, but they know that they have a problem that they need to resolve. And I think, I think that's maybe my skill in just trying to really distill 
what do you really want from us? What help do you need? And then being that that bridge perhaps to sort of really talking to the client. And then also for me, certainly the end of life planning, I'm more than happy to just sit on a call and talk to people. And I think that actually is important when you're trying to get the trust of a client just sometimes taking that little bit of extra time and care to really sort of just talk to them about their family, talk to them about who they think they want to leave things to, why don't they want to leave something to that aunt that they've never seen. Also, the older generation sometimes don't have that opportunity to talk to people and to really explain their thinking. You know, I don't want to leave something to this person because of a feud we had 50 years ago. And, and they don't want to be judged for that, but it, they also want someone to listen to them about that. I, I enjoy that interaction between the client and myself and talking about what they want to do and what they think their issues are. I mean, as you describe it, it feels like one of the most important parts of end-of-life planning is that long-form conversation where you're asking questions to understand and not assuming that you know the answers, right? What you do is take a step back and say, I just want to get to know how you're hoping we can help. What are the things you're worried about? You know, what are the problems that matter the most to you? And and I think that must make an, an enormous difference for the people that you're working with. Well, I hope so. I, I certainly do. I, I think that human connection sometimes is is really important. And I sometimes think it's missing, particularly in more vulnerable communities. People are always so busy. I mean, this is New York. It's so busy all the time. And sometimes just have sitting down and actually talking to someone a little bit more about themselves and their family, rather than immediately rushing to, okay, you need to do you know, this is the form you need to fill in and and this is the process and we'll have to find two people to sign it. I think sometimes just taking that extra time with someone ultimately is makes things smoother as you go along and certainly makes them feel like, okay, she's a free lawyer, but you know, she's, she's a nice lawyer and she's going to help me. That actually makes my pro bono work even more special. Well, Monica, what do you think the impact has been on you of doing this pro bono work with the Vols Veterans Initiative? Oh, I, there's just too many benefits to me. It, it feels it feels unfair, to be honest. Like I've met some really wonderful people. I've met a lot of different clients, which is wonderful too. It enriches my life in living in New York. And I do think that being able to provide pro bono services in the community is something that really connects me to New York, certainly as someone who, you know, didn't grow up here. So for me, that's a real benefit. My day-to-day job is interesting, but, you know, I don't connect with anybody else. I don't really serve a client. I serve the bank. And so that sometimes can make it feel you know, that I'm operating in a bit of a silo or without an emotional connection. And I think that's something that I really enjoy and certainly something that I miss from my military days, which is we're all part of the military community. So I was really serving other military members. So for me, having that personal connection that I get doing pro bono work through VOLs, that's really important to me. And Pete, what would you say to a lawyer who's like, Well, it sounds interesting and veterans feel important, but I don't really know the area of law or I don't, I'm in-house counsel. I don't know if my company is going to be so excited about this. What what would you say to them to get them to sign up and volunteer? 
Well, certainly don't be scared. A lot of the work we do, it's, it's not rocket science, right? A, a smart lawyer could figure it out, but we're not just gonna leave you high and dry. We're gonna provide you with the resources you need. We're gonna provide you with somebody on staff to hold your hand through that process. And, and it makes a world of difference. There are so many people in need with such diverse needs that there's space for all kinds of lawyers to help out. Do me a favor. Don't wait for an emergency to jump in and get started on pro bono. There is a huge need for lawyers to help veterans and seniors with wills, powers of attorney, and incapacity planning. And as the baby boomers age, that need just grows every day. I guarantee you there's a legal services project in your community recruiting and supporting pro bono lawyers for end-of-life planning work. Nothing would make me happier than to have you do the preventative care so no senior veteran or their family has to go through the kind of crisis that makes for a thrilling story. Veterans, they have been through enough excitement already. Thanks for listening to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. This production is dedicated to the pro bono and public interest lawyers working to improve access to justice. A special thanks goes to our producer, Daniel Pinitz, as well as our host, Alicia Aiken. Please note that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast represent those of the individuals being interviewed and not necessarily those of PLI. PLI is a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys and other professionals at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. For more information about PLI's wide-ranging curriculum of pro bono programs, visit pli.edu/probono.